From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week are Colin Young. Hello. And Maddie McLean. Hey. Before we get started this week, I want to give a shout out to Paul Clements of, Roger, of Rogers, Arkansas, who heard our episode about who did what games, heard that we were uh, kind of curious and hopeful of getting a someday hold of a copy of a game called Wise and Otherwise, about like Balderdash but with folk sayings instead of words, and he actually found a copy and sent it to us. Goodness gracious, uh, Paul, from everyone here at Snakes and Lattes, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Your copy of Wise and Otherwise is now happily sitting on the shelves of our game library and being played by our customers even as we speak. Thank you so much for that. Such a wonderful surprise. All right, this week we're going to talk about cottage games. It's getting warmer here in Toronto, and uh, as the temperature rises, more and more Torontonians uh, flee to uh, the area north of here called Muskoka, which is often casually referred to as cottage country so that they can actually breathe. Well, actually, the air's not as bad in Toronto as it is in some places, but uh, you guys ever used to go to a cottagey type place with your friends or your family? Well, I have the privilege of growing up in Northern Ontario, so that, oh my. that played a big part in my upbringing as cottages and playing games in front of a lake and all that beautiful stuff. Nice, how about you, Colin? Uh, in my late teens and early 20s, uh, friends and I would pop up to the cottage for a couple of days after, after school would end for the year. But uh, I haven't been up to a cottage in a little while now, so I'm going to have to refresh myself on the idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky. My grandmother's got an amazing place up north, and uh, my dad and I go up and visit her once in a while, so that's, that's, that's my sort of cottage experience. But uh, what sort of games have you guys traditionally played in your, uh, during those hot, lazy summer times up there? Well, for me, I think the, the most popular game in terms of cottage games, uh, growing up, like everywhere I went, I would play Risk. Mm. Like my friend's house, my parents' cottage, like everywhere. Risk was everywhere. You actually had time to play the full game because you didn't have to go to work the next day or school or whatever. And yeah, that was that was the logic. When you had the run of the place, generally with no parents around, uh, this is my later teens, you could just spend all night playing this game. So it didn't matter that you were up until 3.30 trying to buckle down on northern africa <laughs> you you had like the the whole night was there for you to try to win so uh we're gonna look we're gonna talk about cottage games a little bit uh, this week we're gonna try and talk about games that uh, don't take up too much space in your travel bag games you can play even if you've had a few beers and which you can play over and over again in a long continuous session or games that are just long like risk um so let's see let's start with two-player games what would you guys recommend if uh, it's just two people up at the cottage I think one of my favorites right now is Kamasato. It's balanced, it's pretty, and it can be a short game or it can be a long game, which I think is a huge benefit to something like a cottage environment. Yeah, you can play it at the pace that you choose. Uh, Kamasato is one of those abstract games with just sort of pretty pieces that don't necessarily mean anything. It's got the really simple rules, you can explain it in like a minute. You, know, you, you move a piece and whatever color space it lands on, that's what color piece your opponent has to move next. And that's pretty much it. So uh, the, the other games in, uh, in the abstract section of Snakes and Lattes are quite well suited to that. Uh, gift project games like Yinch or Devon, which we've gone on about in the past, these sort of abstract five-in-a-row type things. Um, yeah, uh, Shigamic's wooden games like Quarto and right. Corridor, mm -hmm. there's uh, an aesthetic that I think kind of fits in with Cottage Country. Uh, but having said that, two-player games 
in my experience, don't get played as much at the cottage. It's true. It's an occasion for more people to be around, so I can't think of a two-player game that I would want to play more at a cottage than I would anywhere. It's more of a social time. Yeah. I suppose. The, 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 the other advantage, I suppose before we move on, the other advantage I can think of to the kind of games that you're mentioning uh, here is that the pieces tend to be pretty big and chunky. These are games that don't have a lot of cards <laughs> or small pieces they'll blow away in the wind. So you can play them outdoors. And uh, that's definitely an advantage there. Having said that, having said that, I do remember now that I have not had an opportunity to table GMT's Twilight Struggle in about two years. <laughs> so if I had a two-player cottage experience, it would probably be that one. Yeah, Twilight Struggle is one of those massive, sprawling, epic, what, was it four hours to play, something like that? Is that it? Yeah, that's your, that's your learning experience game. Yeah, maybe not four. <laughs> and then the next night you can play it for real. And it only well, you've got a like weekend, you can play as long as you need to. It's true. <laughs> yeah, the, the epic games can definitely come out of the cottage. What if you've got a medium-sized group, like around three to five players? I mean, traditionally, cottage games for groups that size would be trick-taking games like Wizard or Hearts. Um, my grandmother's cottage, stuff like Monopoly and Scrabble got played a lot with groups around that size. Is that uh, sort of what you would, would tend to see there? or would you... I'm, I'm leaning towards card games, uh, not necessarily games that you would play ad nauseum like Risk, um, but anything that's light and quick, everyone understands. So if you want more of a gamer game, uh, Cockroach Poker. Uh, it's a very straightforward <laughs> bluffing game. It's that doesn't have to be a gamer game. Cockroach <laughs> Poker is an anybody game. Uh, I suppose, comparatively speaking, to something like No Thanks, which would be a game that has cards with traditional number sequencing. Something like Cockroach Poker is more image-based, so the suits, even though that makes sense to us, is a little trickier to get your head around for perhaps a a casual gamer going up to the cottage. I don't know. For me, Cockroach Booker is very much a lying-to-your-friends-based game. Because <laughs> that is what it's all about. I take a card, I stick in front of you, I say, it's a bat. And you got to decide if I'm lying. That's not a bat, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're talking about lying games where you t- lie to your friends in a cottage environment, I have to go with Coup. It's just, uh, it's yes. been such a hit with my family. And knowing that, I'm not saying my family are exceptionally adept at games. In fact, I'd say probably the opposite. But the fact that they can gravitate towards that game in particular and something that's so portable and cutthroat, I think it's very telling of that, you know, it's a good environment for that kind of an interaction between people. For sure, because it's so short. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 15 minutes to play and you can just play it over and over and over again. You can take breaks to refill your drinks in between. Uh, the complexity is definitely on the high side for this sort of thing, but if you get them familiar with it first, you know, if you get to the point where you, they've got over that initial learning curve, it doesn't take all that long. It takes the length of one play, 15 minutes, and then you can play it over and over again for the rest of the weekend, and you're good. Uh, we did a game spotlight episode on Coup a little while back, if you want some more information about that. If there were only four, and I say four because it's specifically a doubles, hmm. I would probably do anything and everything to convince the other three to play Tichu for the <laughs> entire weekend. Tichu is one of those uh, sort of holy grail games for gamer types. It's like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a trick-taking game, like Hearts or Wizard or what have you, but so much nastier. <laughs> oh, it's... It's, it's evil. It's evil. <laughs> Evil's such a loaded term. Isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's good at what it does. 
And, uh, and again, there's that initial learning curve, but you're never going to play that just once. Not if you're in a nice isolated sort of place where you can just relax and talk about stuff. You can, you know, the fact that you can trade partners, I mean, it is a partnership game yeah. where uh, it's you and the person sitting opposite you against two other players. Uh, the fact that you can switch up the teams is really great for that cottage sort of environment. The fact that it's so wild and unpredictable you can make those bets as you get more and more cards. Uh, the fact that you can just drop a bomb in the middle of a trick, and it's like, and so we can drop a bigger bomb on top of that and say, nope, you're not getting that. It's nice because it's so straightforward and it's so casual and it's so cordial until you're not playing right, according to your partner, and then you need to shape up. So there's a lot of different attitudes that occur in the game. I, I need to play this. Man. Yes, you do. You would love it, Natty. Uh, I think uh, King of Tokyo is also something that has that light-hearted sort of feel to it. It is a bit on the bulky side, but the box at least is light. And if you play it with the power-up expansion set, everybody gets to try all different abilities with their monsters as time goes on. Uh, terrific cottage game, for sure. I know the one other kind of cottage game I can imagine is games that bring people together. Something like Pandemic, or maybe mm. Escape if you have a you know, a CD player. But. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Escape Curse of the Temple could really be a good mm. one there. The, the, the real-time one we're all trying to escape from this temple. Uh, they do tend to, be, again, be a bit on the bulky side, but uh, the fact that they're relatively easy to play and that you can play them over and over again and get different results. Hmm. Or is that, is that actually a drawback in the case of a co-op game? Because you either win or you lose. Hmm. So there's not quite as much of a variety in terms of how it turns out. Yeah. It's, I wonder, though, because with a cottage... With a cottage game, in my experience, you make the trek out into the wild. It's this small group of people, and you've made a decision to leave civilization behind. I tend to find that the people I cottage with or have cottage with in the past don't want to cooperate. They want to just <laughs> leave the confines of civilized world and release their inner barbarian. Their Nature Conan. red in tooth and claw. And this is why we don't go camping with Colin. <laughs> okay, so what if you've got a bigger group, like six or more players? We're looking at sort of uh, party games for the cottage at this point. Stuff like, uh, well, obviously, you know, the campfire type games like Werewolf become amazing when you're isolated from the rest of society. Uh, even something uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, civilized like the Resistance still has that tension, that fear. You know, who can you trust? And that's definitely a strong one. What, uh, what would you guys recommend if you have a big, if you, if you had a big group of your friends up at a cottage someplace? What would you want to play with them? I would have to say, if it was some of my friends, I would say something like Arkham Horror because you get that big. <laughs> epic massive experience and the flavors there and plus you're as you said you're cut off from society you're going to be scared out of your pants as it is so why not go for something that's crazy and kind of awful at the same time because that's the opportunity where you can really experience a game like that mm. you can bring your instrumental music if you want to kind of add some eeriness behind it you can have the one player reading all of the cards to everyone as kind of the card master during the game, even uh, though it's cooperative. Like, you can really experience a game like Arkham Horror when you're out in the middle of nothing. Or That's a touch a of evil idea. as well. And with a mm -hmm. touch of evil, you can, you can, also, you can also have that, uh, the competitive aspect there because you can play that cooperatively or competitively. I would, for my money, however, <laughs> think that there is no game that I would rather have. If I knew that there was going to be if I was going up to a cottage, there's going to be seven, eight, nine, ten people. At that point, ultimate werewolf. Mm. Ultimate werewolf, you have everyone participating. It is aggressive. 
it is I think this is why I, no one goes camping with me anymore. <laughs> but it is the ideal game for the cottage I have to imagine as many people said you kind of want to play it by candlelight the only possible thing better than that would be to play it around a campfire that would be amazing mm. um Make sure any of your survival weapons, any of the tools <laughs> that you have, have been locked up until the game is over. Okay, if you want to really bring out the knives, though, and if you have seven people up camping, can you beat diplomacy? <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> if, if, if what you really want is for somebody to be ready to just walk back to civilization because they can't stand to be in the same car with anybody else. True. With diplomacy... You have a great opportunity to also have Game of Thrones, which is That's true. kind of a modern descendant. It doesn't play as long, despite not as long, meaning it doesn't take 10 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, mere, it's a reasonable four or five hours instead. Right. And six players instead of seven. Uh, but, I mean, if you fancy taking on the mantle of the Stark family and mm. holding fast in the north. There's no way that could go bad. There's nothing <laughs> that could possibly go wrong with that plan. Unless, of course, uh, there's some trouble teaching the rules. I mean, it's, it, it is an, a, a significant barrier for that one. It's not an easy game to learn, but if you've got gamer friends, oh my goodness. Just make sure that no one's going to be that person if you have the karaoke machine. That's <laughs> make sure no one's trying to sing Billy Idol's Red Wedding. Oh. Oh. Too soon? No. Too no. Soon? Oh. <sighs> Yellow card. Right there. Worth it. One more game for big groups is what I'm going to recommend as well for cottage type situations. And this is for people who like to play the more traditional, relaxing sort of card games where you can have a drink and chat about other things. People who would be playing Hearts or Bridge or something like that. Six Nipped, otherwise known as Take Six, otherwise known as Category Five. It's got a bunch of different names. We'll play for anywhere from two to ten players. And it's wonderfully relaxing and simple. You know, everybody just has 10 cards, you all pick one, you all put it face down, we flip them over, we see which card goes where, you try not to get any cards back. Very, very easy to play. Uh, it can be as strategic as you want it to be, and also you can mess up the strategy player's plans by just playing randomly. Because you, you know, they're never going to expect that you're going to play that. It's, 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 it's just so accessible, and yet, the more you play it, the more people try to actually play it. And it's, it's, and the fact that it's so easy to get into and so flexible as far as the number of players, and the fact that it's tiny, just a little box of cards, makes it an ideal cottage game as well. Yeah, I actually did manage to just secure a copy of that, and it's pretty much one of my default games to carry around. It's, it's a wonderful title. It's really useful. Any other games you want to recommend for uh, cottage time, guys? Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, let's hear I think probably one of my favorites is Revolution. Okay. It's smaller, so it's, uh, two it's to four competitive, players. although it does have the Palace expansion, which I haven't tried yet, nice. but I've heard really good things. Right, we're going to have to see about doing a spotlight on that sometime soon. It's a blind bidding game. You know, you know what you're trying to do, you don't know what anybody else is trying to do, we just all do our thing and see who succeeds. If you have someone that wants a little bit of meat, I, I think that Shadows over Camelot Oh, that could be a great, great exactly, because it's got the, uh, the co-op thing, but somebody might be a traitor. In fact, somebody probably is a traitor if you play with a large group. Traitor mechanism, legendary, a little bit of co-op, you can really mess around with people. And, the, uh, and again, the, the Arthurian sort of thing lends itself to getting away from it all. 
All right. Well, if you're headed up to the cottage, or even if you just want to create a little space away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, we hope this episode has helped you to find the kinds of games that will help you do that together with your friends and your family. Till next time, I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Maddie McLean and Bye. Colin Young. Hello. Game on. Game on. Thanks for listening. You can find more from the Game Gurus by subscribing to the Snakes and Lattes YouTube channel or by visiting our blog. Just go to snakesandlattes.com and click where it says blog up near the top of the page. Until next week, I'm P.T. Douglas. Game on.